1 Timothy chapter 1. And as you're turning there, Lord, we ask you that you would give us a prophetic word. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is conformed to yours and the will to execute upon those things. Lord, we are grateful that you've given us this opportunity. I know there are many more men still on the way. Some of them are coming after work. Lord, I pray that you would get them here swiftly and um, without pause. We love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, guys, I'm going to start off and I'm going to set the pace and the expectation of the theme of this conference. And it is no surrender. Right, the, the enemy has come in and wants you to quit. And actually, I didn't even think about it until I was just teaching. I've got my uh, die first, quit later shirt. As long as you're working on living on and walking on this earth, you do not quit. You do not surrender. Weak men surrender. You might have pain, you might have heartache, but we keep pressing on. I'm going to do an overview of what it means. The title of this message is Waging War. What that looks like, and then the rest of the teachers are going to walk you through equipping you for those things. But my assigned text, 1 Timothy chapter 1, I should have been turning there. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, it tells us, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith and suffered shipwreck. And then he names a couple guys who had shipwrecked their calling. My prayer is that you guys here are refreshed. You're equipped. You're fired up to leave these doors and face a crooked and perverse generation among whom you are to shine as a light to wage the good war. That you might prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. You're here to get equipped. Men's conferences, we talk about things like the armor of God. That we are to be refitted, refreshed. In Ephesians chapter 6, therefore take up the whole armor of God. That you might be able to withstand the evil day. And are we not in an evil day, men? I can't, it's, it is unfathomable. When I was a child... Just the, the short amount of years that I have been on this earth, the increase of evil and wickedness towards the days of Noah are all around us. And we don't know when the Lord is going to come back. So we have to engage. But in order to engage in this warfare, we have to have the armor of God. You're here to gird your waist with the truth, are you not? breastplate of righteousness. You are to get on your feet the preparation of the gospel, taking the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. You are here to be equipped and plan everything so you will not be surprised by 
nothing. And when you walk out those doors, you're going to get punched straight in the mouth by the world who wants to take you out. And then, of course, you're going to say, dang, war isn't as good as I thought it was. I mean, it was good in the sanctuary when we were talking about it. <laughs> but like Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. There is the theory of war, and then there is the reality of war. Those are two different things. And in my estimation, if I were to describe war, I would use a lot of words, but I'm not sure I would associate the word good with war. Sometimes, you know, we get a little cocky and arrogant, and you sit in a teaching like this, you get all fired up, and you're like, bring it on, Satan! Then after about six weeks of getting your butt handed to you, you're like, somebody make the bad man stop. <laughs> like, Lord, I'm crying out to you, defeated. You know, how, how much longer do I have to endure this thing? There's the theory of war, and then there's the reality of it. Pastor Ray and I, it's funny, you know, as uh, I called uh, uh, <laughs> Pastor Travis, uh, um, man, last conference that we had, man, I was just, I was busted up with spiritual warfare. If you guys were here for that, worst week of my life. And then identically, the exact same timeline of that, you know, conference and this conference, same thing, spiritual warfare. It's hitting, it, it hits and it hit and it just comes flooding in because when God wants to do an amazing work, so does the enemy. He wants to do everything he can to undermine what God is going to do. And some of you have already felt it yourself. You're like, man, I took off work. I'm going to come hear from God and everything, you know, falls apart and the wife's disconnected. You're disconnected. The kids are running around like the hair's on fire. But that's what we signed up for. You enlisted into God's army. And we do not surrender. War is good. It is good. But when you look at the reality of war, and you look at the casualties of war, you see death, destruction, pain, and brokenness. And you're like, war is good? Maybe? Yes. I say, good. War is good. My prayer, our prayer, should be, God, keep me in pain. Keep me broken. I don't know about you, but I am never so close to God as when I am broken. And I never re rely on God's power as much as when I'm being attacked. Yes, Lord, keep me engaged in the battle. I have to tell myself to constantly push forward. And if you're not, if you're not going through a trial or you just didn't get out of a trial, hold on because one's coming. If you are actually fulfilling the calling that God put upon your heart, because if you're not, the enemy's perfectly fine with you being complacent. Don't worry about it. You just stay right where you are. Let you get nice and comfortable you know, in your little snuggie on the couch, getting fat, doing nothing for the kingdom. 
He's perfectly fine with that. But when you are engaged in warfare, hold on. Hold on to the Lord. And although when we're going through it, we're praying God take us out of it. But I say, let God have his perfect will in your life as he's taken through it because he is preparing you for the next thing. Or maybe he's preparing you to help somebody who isn't as far along as you are. And when they're going through it, you come alongside them. You lock arms and you are stronger and better for having gone through it first. How many of you would much rather go through war than your children or your brothers? Right? You, you should embrace this warfare and say, Lord, give it to me that my brother might not have to go through it. Or if he does go through it, I have been equipped for having been in the muck and the mire and I'm clawing and I'm fighting and I'm getting my way out of it. By the grace of God, the word wage here in the Greek is stratuo. What it means, it means it's, it's a military term, an expedition or a journey to lead soldiers into battle. Right? Not, not, set, up a, not set up a defensive position. That's not what, what it means to wage war. It's an offensive term that we are to step foot into the battlefield, not wait for it to come to us. Not to wait for the enemy to come to us. We go to the enemy. No, don't get me wrong. Don't provoke Satan into you. At the end of the day, you know, with all your ninja skills and your weightlifting and your yoga, um, you're just not that strong. The devil has been destroying powerful men long before you. But what you do is you look for opportunities where the enemy's doing a work and you go put yourself in the middle of what the enemy's doing. It's everywhere. And it can be done in a very practical way. I was sharing with men's group last night. Our uh, youth pastor, a couple prayer requests, or, or excuse me, our kids' church pastor, Jim Greer, um, his, uh, his mother-in-law, broke her femur and you know she's elderly and you know you break a bone like femur I don't care how old you are it's debilitating and uh, they've just been going through it she needs 24-hour care and then his do uh, his daughter Lacey her boyfriend was in a motorcycle accident last night wrecked out hit a wall he has uh, hit today just to update for those of you who uh, were here yesterday uh, the brain bleeds have stopped um, his, uh, his tailbone is still cracked, his pelvis, he's going into surgery this morning. Um, he's in and out of consciousness, but it seems like he's doing okay. And, and you know what? Um, he's going through it, spiritual warfare, in a very real way. And I knew he was at the hospital but I know Jim's character and I know his heart and I know his family that even in the midst of, of trials and tribulation, he wants to put himself into harm's way for somebody else. So I called him and I said, hey, Pastor Jim, hey, I know you're going through it. But um, and, and the only reason I asked him is because of his character. I know who he is. 
And I knew if I, if I didn't ask him, he would be upset with me. So I said, hey, in the hospital that you're at, there's a baby who was born two months premature. She's having, uh, he's, he's having uh, heart problems. Would you go upstairs and, uh, and pray for that little baby and play with the family? Yes. I said, okay, when you're done with that, can you go another 45 minutes on the other side of Albuquerque and go pray for Rhonda, Terry's husband, or Terry's wife. And uh, she, she's, she weighs like 82 pounds and has a seven pound tumor inside her uterus and, it's, and, and they found out yesterday that it's cancerous. He's like, on it. And here, Jim's got a whole lot of his problems going on. But he has chosen to engage into the warfare and put his drama aside for the benefit of somebody else. And that's what it means to be a warrior and being engaged is, is, is you put aside what's going on in your life. And, and I, knew, I knew this would be a blessing to him because I, was, I, I, I called Peggy, his wife, this morning. I called Jim. He never answers his phone, so I always call his wife. Say, hey, answer, tell Jim to answer. So she, she, she was praying, and she said, you know, Jason, you know, what's your prayer request? What do you need? She said, it's so hard to find the words to pray for other people when you don't even know the words to pray for yourself. And I'm like, I get it, I get it. But I knew, I knew that whenever you're going through it, it's so easy to curl up in a ball, get in the fetal position, suck your thumb, and do nothing. One of the best tools to overcome spiritual warfare in your life is to help somebody in spiritual warfare in their life. And, and, and Jim, he got on the phone. He's like, dude, I can't even begin to tell you what a blessing it was. We, got, we went up to the NICU to go pray for that baby. And next thing you know, we're just going room to room praying for people. You know, and, and, and you know, he has made a choice to engage in spiritual warfare. It don't have to look something miraculous. You know, it, it could be done something so simply. No better way to get your eyes off of your problems and put your eyes on God and use it to help someone else in their pain. Jim is the epitome of this conference, no surrender. I'm not going to stop doing what God's called me to do just because I got a little tragedy in my life. And he engaged. We look for opportunities in which we see the enemy working. And you become the light in the midst of darkness. You don't even have to look very hard. In our culture, that it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Mass murder of the unborn. Mutilation of our children. Emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. Destroying them. Physically, through hormone and puberty blockers. The indoctrination of our children into all things ungodly. The prolific exploitation of human sexuality that God gave us to glorify him. And now it's being used to undermine every good work. The expulsion of all godly things in the public space. 
You may be the only Jesus people say, see, because they have taken any form of God out of the public space, so you might be it. And how much more so now than ever before? The list goes on. It's everywhere. Wage the good warfare. But the, but the major question is, is how is that done? We think about war and we think of that, that the violence in which it brings. And you know, we're men, right? Give me a rifle. Give me a hill. I'll attack it. But this is different. That, that, that's not what God's called us to do. How do, you, how do you engage? Turn with me two pages to the right, two or three pages to the right. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. This is how you wage war. And, and, and at first it seems kind of contradictory. It's like, ah, all right, this is how you wage war. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. But be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God so perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. The devil. It's like, ah, War, be gentle. So I don't know how to. I don't know how to how to match those two things up in my brain. You guys know me. I've been been in special operations my entire life, my entire adult life. I'm still training with guys. I understand the earthly realm of war, but be gentle. Don't quarrel. Be patient. Patience. Isn't that an awful requirement for men? How, how do you engage in a, in a violent war and not quarrel? We have to change our concept of the word fight and what that means. For our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts its, its, itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when obedience is fulfilled. It is, it is a, a change of mind. It is a change of we are no longer in a physical war, but a spiritual war. And the tools that God has given us are different than the carnal tools and the weapons of war that men have created. We change our mind. We renew our mind. And he gives us the tools that we, in our human capacity, do not have the ability to do apart from God. I have never kung fu chopped a demon. Karate kicked a, um, a, a, a demonic entity. It starts on your face in prayer. 
It's, you know, uh, Pastor Sean is going is to talk about the essentials of warfare that you have to have in your arsenal. You know, uh, um, both of my boys happen to be here at, at the conference. Um, both of them are United States Marines. And this is the first time, uh, um, this is the first time our family's been together for a year and a half. And Jonathan is about to go off to um, Marine combat training here in a, in a couple weeks. Um, but we, we have a different kind of family, right? Having you know three Marines in the in the home. I've got two daughters and my wife, of course. So there's three boys, three girls, and you know now that they're here, we've been doing things like you know the other night we had family movie night. You guys like family movie night? Our family movie night's a little different. We watched Hacksaw Ridge. You know, that's that's what we did for for family movie night. And. Um, you know, if you, if you haven't seen that movie, it's a true story of Desmond Doss, who was a World War II Medal of Honor recipient. He was a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, um, um, some crazy weird doctrine, but nonetheless, uh, you know, he, he, he believed he had a calling upon God to engage into this human war. But he was what's called a conscientious objector. Right? He wanted to be part of the war, but he didn't want to be, you know, conduct any violence. And as he was going through boot camp, basic training, and they all thought, and he was a scrawny little guy, you know, and everybody thought he was weak in mind, weak in character. He would not touch a rifle. It's like you join the army to go to war and you're not going to touch a rifle. And they even court-martialed him and tried to kick him out. And he said, I don't need a rifle to save lives. He said, I want to be a combat medic. And, and I'm there to rescue men. And to save their lives, and long story short, the movie, he, he, he is able to go through, graduate boot camp, and he made his way to Okinawa, Japan, where my son's actually been for the last year and a half, and engaged in one of the most bloodiest battles in the West Pacific. Thousands, thousands of men died and he did not have a gun he did not use violence he used the gifts that God gave him to save lives not take them wasn't that huh, the mission of our heavenly father through Jesus Christ to save lives the enemy, the devil, who walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. John 3, 17, he said, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but, the, but that the world through him might be saved. We could take a lesson from Desmond Doss that our job is the great commission 
of fighting and saving the souls of men, fighting for them, engaging in the good warfare. You don't need man's weapons of war. You need the giftings in which God can give you to bring the gift of salvation to those who are perishing, those who think it is foolish. It starts with prayer. But I'll tell you what, if, if your life does not reflect your belief, you ain't saving nobody. And obviously, no, it's, it's not us that, that saves. All we do is represent the gospel in which God does the saving. But that's the, that's the commission. This warfare, however, starts with our character first. It starts when we ensure that our lives are shored up with an honorable walk that all might see. We saw here in, in Timothy having faith, a good conscience, right? But if you, if you go to the first chapter of Timothy, chapter 1, first, uh, verse 5, it says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love, from a pure heart, a good conscience, and from sincere faith. And those are the things that we have to, we have to look at. It first starts with love. You have to love mankind enough to tell them that they're going to hell. Now, of course, the manner in which you do it has to be done surgically and carefully. Sometimes you may have a really great relationship or you might be able to boldly tell them hey, you're going to hell if you do not repent. But it starts with you first. You have to have that pure heart, clean conscience, and unmovable faith. Those three things we see throughout the book of Timothy. Turn to chapter 3, verse 9. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. One of the characteristics of being a servant, a deacon. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. Those who have spoken lies and hypocrisy and they have seared their own conscience with a hot iron. That, that conscience has to be good and pure. It can't be seared with a callous. You look at verse 12, let no one despise your youth, young Timothy, but be an example to the believers in word, conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You look at chapter 5, verse 1. Nope, that's not the right one. 21. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. 
Keep yourself what? Pure. That, that is absolutely essential. Remember, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the enemy is going to tempt you with sin to corrupt the purity of your heart. The enemy tries to keep you in sin. Keep your conscience hard. That the Holy Spirit cannot convict you any longer. That the trials being so hard that your faith might be shaken. Those three things have to be shored up. Now, there's plenty of other things that you've got to deal with. It starts with love, have purity, having a good conscience, and having your faith strong. But as much as the enemy tries to destroy us, and, and, and I don't want to discount how powerful the enemy is at tempting you and putting you through trials. But the real enemy, ah, the real enemy, sometimes we are too quick to blame the devil for the things your stupid butt does. It's like, man, enemy, man, the enemy's really trying, really taking me through it. I'm like, no, that's just your bad decisions. Have anything to do with the enemy? That's you and your nonsense. You know what's right and you fail to do it. A lot of times the biggest problem and your biggest enemy is you. Me. My three favorite people. Me, myself, and I. Your greatest asset to further the kingdom of God your will to obey God's commandments and further the kingdom is also your greatest enemy because we have that sin, selfish nature about us. The enemy tempts you, but it's your will that succumbs to it. We are directly responsible for the condition of our own hearts. You can't blame anybody or anything for the condition of your heart. Can't blame your surroundings. You can't blame your dad. You can't blame your job. Can't blame your crazy wife. Can't blame the dog. You are responsible for the condition of your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You are responsible for what goes into the heart and comes out the mouth in which defiles you. That's why you're here this weekend, is you're getting that heart change, that oil change out of your heart. To get that purity back in there. To remind yourself that God has a plan and a purpose for your life and he cannot do anything with it as long as you are tied to sin. 
You're directly responsible for your heart, your conscience, and your faith. God's not going to force feed his will and his spirit into you. God's providence is he will give you more that you could ever ask for. Man's responsibility is to receive it and to accept it and let it change him from the inside out. How do you change anyone if you haven't allowed God to change you? Now, don't get me wrong. What I don't want to say is that you somehow have to work for your salvation and you have to do certain things and stuff. No, all you got to do is we don't surrender to the world, but we do surrender to the king. And you say, Lord, my life is your life. Let your will be done, not mine. That's what you have to start with. But that's your responsibility. It's directly correlated to your relationship and time spent with our king. God has so much to give you, but you're responsible for your prayer time. You're responsible for your study time. You are responsible for your ministry time. You are responsible for all of those things. God's providence and his promise will always be there. It works even with our basic sense foundation of salvation. God's providence says that he is just and will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Your responsibility is to confess those things and receive him as your Lord. He is our Lord and Savior. We love the Savior part. The Lord part's a little rough. Making him the, he, he may be your Savior, but you have to ask, is he your Lord? Is he the Lord of what you put into your heart, what you watch, what you listen to, the places you go? The war will always be there, whether you engage it or not. But how you cope and how you operate, how you manage within that war is directly correlated to how close you are to Jesus Christ. These three things, pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. The pure heart, there's three things categorically that most men struggle with. Not exclusively, but there's three things that men struggle with that directly affect the purity of our heart. Patience, or more specifically, the lack thereof. Which results in the second thing, man's wrath, anger, lack of patience, the abundance of anger, which does not produce the righteousness of God. And the third thing, yoga pants. <laughs> and yoga pants, curse the man who made yoga pants. That comes in so many different forms. 
and it's everywhere. And I have access to them, two of them right here. So easy, so easy to hide the sin that so easily ensnares you. But it's purity. Do you care enough about the purity of your heart that you're willing to get a flip phone? To get somebody accountable? Someone that, that, that you're honest enough to say, you know what? I am not pure in the area of yoga pants. And I need to help somebody work me through anger problems. I need somebody to help me. You know, and contrary to the popular statement or philosophy of never ask God for patience because he will give you ample opportunity to practice it. How else do you practice patience if not given opportunity? And then having somebody and then filling your mind with the things that when sin approaches your door, you have a defense and you have a plan. And in peacetime, you have done enough training that when the war is at your doorsteps, you have the shield of faith which the darts cannot penetrate. But it's not just about purity in those things, it's also purity in intentions. Not doing anything in selfish ambition or conceit. Having integrity. That's where the conscience comes in. Philippians 2.15 says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Having our conscience, having our heart pure allows us to have a good conscience that the Holy Spirit can actually infect and convict. When your heart is full of garbage, it puts a cover over your conscience. And you get to a point where you don't even feel the conviction. That the Holy Spirit isn't even penetrating to get to your conscience. To remind you that what you're doing is wicked and evil. And the worse condition of your heart. The thicker the wall is over your conscience. Every temptation, every trial, every conflict. The enemy wants to sear your conscience that it no longer moves you into repentance when the Holy Spirit enters you. Every website of sin that you click on pokes a hole in your conscience and builds a layer between you and our God. This conscience also allows you to have what's called integrity. And integrity is always doing the right thing no matter who's watching because God is always watching. And you think that what you do in the dark 
Just because you have not been found out that somehow God's not upset with you. It's like, well, God hasn't, God hasn't poked a hole in this boat, so I'm just going to keep on sailing it. Your sin will find you out. And when it does, it brings massive destruction. 1 Peter 3.16, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good works, conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if you do the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Integrity is making the difficult, hard decisions for truth and righteousness in a world of lies. And you're not going to be popular. But with a pure heart and a good conscience, you will always make the right decisions. With a conscience that has layer of sin over it, you start to compromise. And compromising will always lead to more compromising. Lastly, having a sincere faith. Do you actually believe what you say you believe? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, said Jesus, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Just because you go to church in a men's conference doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. But those who do his will. Do you have the faith enough to do the hard thing that when God asks you to do something that's unpopular, that's hard, that's going to hurt, that you don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring, do you have the kind of faith that allows you to do that and putting your trust and confidence in God? And the only way that that gets developed over time is you take steps of faith. And it might start out as something super small. You know, I tell this to men's all the time. I say, if you're arrested for being a Christian, is there enough evidence of your life to convict you? If I were to walk into your home, would I say, man, this is a Christian home? Look through your Netflix history or your internet history before you cleared it out. Is there evidence in your life that you have the kind of faith that moves mountains to go up to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and give them the gospel? How many times have you missed an opportunity to share the gospel when you knew God was calling you to and you didn't because you were afraid and you didn't have enough faith to go out there and like, ah, and then you feel like a worm for not doing it. Well, good if you felt like a worm. Don't do it twice. Don't do it again. Have that sincere faith. God is a God of new beginnings. And before we close now, I want to give you guys an opportunity. Maybe, maybe you don't have the pure heart that, that you ought to have. Maybe your conscience is twisting you up right now from this, from this teaching. 
Well, you know what it's going to take? It's going to take you to have faith for you to get up out of your seats, come down here right now, and, in, and before men and God Almighty say, God, I want to do a new start today that I might hear from you the rest of this conference. The Bible says that God does not listen to the prayers of sinners. He listens to the prayers of those who are repentant. And if you want to hear God's voice today, this weekend, while these other men are going to come up here who have taken their time to prepare to give you what God has to say to you, and you want that ear to hear, I'm going to ask you, get out of your seat right now. We're going to pray right now, and we're going to ask God to forgive us of all the things that are keeping us in bondage of yesterday and the bondage of sin. Come on, Cruz. Come on, bro. Come on, guys. Pure heart, good conscience, having faith that moves. And today is the day. Today is the first day of the rest of your life where you get an opportunity to say, God, I begin my new walk with you today. All things have passed away. All things can be new today for you here. Come on, guys, bring it in. Let God have his way in you. He wants to release you of the bondage of sin, the past pains, the past hurts, and you know what the big one is? Past failures that you can't let go. That's what God wants to do for you. And I know you want to hear from the Lord. So let's go before the Lord. You bow your head and you say, you say the prayer in your heart. I'm going to pray over you. And as I'm praying over you, you are confessing your sins from your heart to God. Lord, I pray for these men here right now who are hungry to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would meet them wherever they are. Lord, I pray that you would cleanse them of all their unrighteousness. I pray that you would give them a bold kind of faith that is actionable. Lord, I pray that you would remove all the calluses of their conscience. Lord, they are here to confess their pains and their failures and their sins before you. And Lord, we call upon that promise that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I pray that the Holy Spirit descend upon each and every man here. And I pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that they would receive it and you would give them the gifts that they need to have to accomplish the calling that you put into their life. Lord, as their prayers are ascending to heaven, Lord, my prayer is that you hear them and you act upon it and then you renew them afresh and they, they go back to their seats with an expectation that you are going to do a mighty work and you are going to transform their hearts in a powerful way. Lord, we commit our day and this day to you and we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.